Yeah, it's Halford and Bruff in the morning. We are neither Halford nor Bruff. I'm Dan Richo. He is Jamie Dodd. Halford and Bruff is brought to you by the Delari Famula, family of accurate Ooh. dealers. Famula? Not sure what that is. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. I, right. I am doing the show with Bruff next week, though. Are you? Yes. You're so, doing two weeks in the morning? I, and then a third later in August. And I'm in that morning show life now. This is actually good for me. I leave for Europe on Saturday, so it's oh, kind of like I'm perfect. Getting, getting used to the hours. By the way, bit. and I know we got to get to our guests, so we'll talk yeah. about this later in the show. <laughs> I was sitting here in studio like 10 after 5. Reach <laughs> walks in and pulls a, like ceramic porcelain espresso cup out of his backpack and a saucer a matching saucer yeah and sits down at the table he brought his own espresso cup from home for the morning show Show unreal performance the camera yeah well we don't uh, it's on camera it's on stream if you'd uh, like to see uh at uh, sportsnet 650 on twitter but i mean we don't have an espresso maker here yeah i feel a little left out though we don't have a stove i didn't bring any for anybody no Unlike Balak, who carries an extra croissant with him at all times. That's, uh, we can get into that later. My emergency croissant. Uh, our next guest would rather we uh, not continue to ramble on about random things here in the morning. It is uh, Matt Baker with the BC Lions. Thanks for this, Matt. How are you? Anytime, guys. And uh, no, uh, I-, I was entertained listening. I think there's an espresso maker there, but it's only the likes of Halford and Breff that get to use it. I'm sure. <laughs> They lock it up when yeah. those guys are off. Like, nope, no one else is allowed to touch this. They, they, they lock VIPs it up. VIPs only. Yeah, the uh, the big timers get get it, I guess. Um, so, yeah. speaking of big timers, Nathan Rourke has uh, burst onto the scene here. The numbers are incredible. The performance on Saturday was just off the charts. This is uh, it's kind of getting out of hand of what, what he's doing right now to the rest of the league. Yeah, you know what's interesting, guys? Um it is remarkable. It's great to see. And, and kind of having a front row seat and being around the guy every day, you really get a deeper appreciation of just how much he puts into it. Like, it's going to sound cliche, but um, he's the first guy in, last guy to leave, always watching film, eats, breathes, sleeps, sleeps football, as they say. And it is, yeah, you mentioned getting out of, out of hand. Like, I was, I was crunching some of these numbers. Like, he, he's on pace to like shatter some of these records, like Doug Flutie's touchdown record. These are records that have stood for, <laughs> what, about 25 years since Doug left for the Buffalo Bills, right? So, yeah, it, it's great. I mean, um, you know, it's been a full team effort most of these nights. It seems every facet, every position group is locked in and doing their thing. But um, the kid is special. There's no doubt about that. And uh, a lot of football left, but this has been a treat to be around and I mean, I know, you know, the home opener this year, Matt, was a, a real celebration and that was a ton of fun. You look at a night like uh, on the weekend where, you know, Nathan Rourke puts up those numbers, team gets a blowout win, they're six and one. Just how much fun is it to be a part of the organization right now and experience that night at home in front of the home fans and, and have a win like that at this point in the season? Yeah, it's, it's worked out good that way because the, those type of wins have all happened at home. Um yeah, the crowds are into it. Um, you know, you can just you can just sense it when when you're in there and warm ups and people are starting to file in about you know people are sort of anticipating what are we going to see tonight, right? And 
you know, this market, this is a market that loves its flash and dash, right? You look, you look back at some of the great Canuck teams, 2011, uh, highest scoring team in the NHL, West Coast Express years, you know, didn't win a Stanley Cup, but the fans were entertained every night. That's what this market has come to expect over the years. And yeah, I mean, um, say what you want about the amount of fans that are showing up, but the ones that are showing up are into it. Um, it's loud in there. It's exciting. And, and you really get a sense you're watching uh, the most entertaining show in, the, in Canadian football right now. And, you know, before the season and before Nathan Rourke really started doing what he's doing, as you said, made himself the story, not just with the Lions, but around the CFL, you know, obviously a lot of the focus with the Lions was on off the field uh, matters and specifically the fact that new ownership in place and what would they do? And, you know, I saw that uh, that Omar Doman was in the locker room after the game, giving a pep talk to the players, and it really feels like he has kind of invigorated the franchise and the team and put his stamp on things pretty immediately here. And just from your perspective, Matt, as somebody who's worked with the team for a long time, what has new ownership kind of, what, what has the impact that you've seen on a day-to-day basis been of, of new ownership for the Lions? Yeah, night and day. And it's, you know, obviously all due respect uh, to the late, great David Braley and everything he did for this league. But I think it was, uh, the consensus was that it needed a change. It needed a local owner and, um, Amar has been everything you could ask for. Um, he's, he's a guy who cares. He's a guy who's connected to the business community, has done wonders with uh, increasing our presence out in the community. You know, these guys are always out at different events in the city. You know, our trailer truck was out at Kitts Beach, right? Hot summer day. What better place to be out there uh, marketing the product? That was just stuff, guys, you didn't see before, right? And, you know, pro sports... As you know, you have to do more than just win and entertain on the field. You have to have a presence in the community. And, and yeah, he's awesome. Like, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure you saw that bit in the locker room. Uh, that was kind of unexpected. Uh, Rick Campbell had wrapped up his sort, of, his sort of address to the team, and then all of a sudden in walks Amar with his family in the awesome orange shoes. And um, our head coach is, is a little reserved by nature, at least when he's not behind closed doors. But you could tell he was fired up. When, when Amar walked in and yeah, I think that's had a trickle down effect to the organization, you know, for, for folks that do what we do in, in communications and marketing and um, you know, people see that and, and they get fired up, but yeah, it's, it's been a breath of fresh air and, you know, we've had more of a presence downtown. I've, I've heard other people, people who work for other teams who've come in here. So yeah, like I've never seen you guys have this much of a presence by a BC place before, like talking about signs and done a couple of those other events at the art gallery. It's uh, yeah. Breath of fresh air is the best way I can put it. You know, it, it is important given how the last couple of years have, have gone, uh, you know, with the pandemic and the, the lost season and, you know, realistically, uh, you know, Matt, I've been talking this morning about how I've, I've not been uh, the biggest CFL fan that it takes a lot for me to watch a game outside of, of the gray cup really. And I know I'm not alone in that. And it's, there has been a a, a big discussion around, you know, where the league is headed from here coming out of, of the pandemic, but it feels as though, and I I don't mean to put too much pressure on Nathan Rourke, but having a Canadian QB potentially, you know, fighting for MOP all season long, now, this is this feels like a gift from the football gods, not just to the BC Lions, but also to the CFL. Absolutely, yeah, and um, 
And I'll admit it, guys, when when Rick Campbell anointed him the starter right when Mike Riley retired, that was back in February, I think it was, and I'll fully admit I was I was a little surprised. Like not saying he wasn't capable of the job, but but then you sort of peel back the layers of this thing and you look, okay, drafted in twenty twenty. There was no season, but he had a whole year to study up, watch film, do whatever he needed to do. 2021, Riley was essentially limited in practice with that elbow injury most of the season. So this kid was taking first team reps all the way. So when you really start to look at it, you think, okay, maybe <laughs> maybe the coaching staff was on to something here. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we kind of have alluded to it uh, in the first couple of minutes. Um, you know, we've seen our fair share of good quarterback play and uh, average to poor quarterback play uh, in this market the last few years, and it definitely does feel like a gift. But I, I hear you all the way, Dan. I, th- I think we're all I think we're all sort of the same age. I mean, we've we've lived through eras where the CFL wasn't good, wasn't healthy, and you almost kind of wondered um, what kind of the end game was here. So, and I I hear what you're saying absolutely, and I think. I think the pandemic as a guy who is sort of there every day, um, kind of wondering again, what's, what's the end game to all this whole situation. So yeah. Uh, when you consider the timing, it's, it's quite remarkable. Well, and you know, I'll tell you, Matt, we, we let off the show talking about, uh, what the lions did, uh, over the weekend and we, we've had some texts in, you know, Hey, I went to my first game in 15 years and it was because of Rourke, you know, I'm, I'm all in because of what Nathan Rourke's doing. We're getting a lot of those texts, from our listeners and you know it's easy to understand why and you know from your perspective as somebody who's involved with you know the marketing and the promotion of the team are you still kind of wrapping your head around like what exactly you have on your hands here with Nathan Rourke and, and just where you know we're still really early in the process right what it's seven games as a starter uh so far are, are yeah. you still kind of coming to grips with hey this could be not big not just for the Lions this could be massive for the CFL if, if this goes in a certain way yeah, and again, right, player turnover, you know, that's that's one of the things that you might hear some people say why they, they can't get into it. You know, I don't want to go out and shell 200 bucks for a jersey and, and the guy's on a one-year contract, he signed somewhere else. So, yeah, um, it's definitely, like I was saying, star power, right? Uh, Vancouver, West Coast, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, for as much as he's been doing it again on the field, off the field, um, it's a great tool to have. So, um, yeah, th- this team isn't going to run the table and go 17-1, and one, although that would be awesome. Yeah, that wouldn't but, be bad, huh? Um, they're going to they're gonna be, be in most games, right? I mean, I, I give you a direct comparable. I mean, I know he's uh, a Denver Bronco now, but Russell Wilson, um, when he was putting up MVP-type numbers with the Seahawks, they were never out of a game, right? And that's what I think helped really revitalize the Seahawks brand. And it's going to be like that more often than not with Nathan Rourke. You know, we're not going to win every game going on out here, but we're going to give fans like you've been hearing from hopefully reason uh, to keep coming back as the games get all that more crucial here as we're crazy. It's all, we're already into mid-August just about. So, yeah, definitely fun and uh, just hoping we can sustain it. Not uh, not to take anything away from uh, Nathan, but he's got a pretty good receiving core to throw to as well. Uh, Burnham comes back. He gets a touchdown. 
Uh, Rhymes is is lighting people up. Three TDs. Uh, Whitehead. You know, it, they've been all over the place. Um, it, I'm kind of surprised at the chemistry everybody's got on this on this roster. Yeah, and I think that speaks a lot to how kind of how kind of difficult it was returning last year. I mean, guys like Rhymes. I'll mention another one, Keon Hatcher. You know, these are guys. Uh, Keon Hatcher was a guy who was a, one of those guys coming up from the states. He had a stint with uh, the Raiders after college, I and mean, these are guys. They come up here. They have to learn a new brand of football, learn a new playbook. And last year with COVID and doing everything virtual, I'm not quite sure. I think there's a reason you saw offenses league-wide struggle last year. I think that was a product of um, the lack of in-person meeting time, starting late, not having a preseason, but not to go off on too much of a tangent. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a credit to the coaching staff and and the GM, Neil McAvoy. They they wanted to build this team a certain way, and, um, you know, they – they made sure they had room to fit in guys like Lucky and bringing a guy like Dominique Grimes back. You know, it really is kind of an embarrassment of riches. And we were kind of just post-game in Saskatchewan two weeks ago. I forget who it was who asked uh, Dominique Grimes a question in the post-game media. He said, you guys need Burnham back? And we kind of had a chuckle about that. But, you know, I think you're seeing uh, the element he brings. He's his old self, uh, Nice leaping grab in the corner there to uh, to pass Swerven Mervin on the all-time list. Nice feather in his cap. But, yeah, um, we're going to be in most games. High-scoring games this is going to be a tough team to beat uh, with all those guys that, that we're mentioning here at receiver. Hey, Matt, really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Anytime, guys. And uh, you want to come to a game, just let me know. You know where to find me. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. There is uh, Matt Baker with the BC Lions. Joining us here uh, this morning on uh, on Halford and Bruff in the morning, Dan Richo and Jamie Dodd, in for the vacationing Halbro. Um, again, it's you know, I, I see excitement, you know, and I see some excitement through the text inbox and with how people are responding, not just with the win, but also the excitement of quarterback and receivers. And I do think you know this is a big moment for the league that has been needing a face of the league for a while. It's probably a bad thing that a lot of people still like, you know, all over the Ricky Rays and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Doug Anthony Flutie's. Calvillo. Yeah. And Anthony, uh, Anthony Calvillo and Doug Flutie's of the world. Um, but you know, that's kind of the reality of the CFL. They, they need to build stars again. And how do you do that? Um, I think a Canadian QB is is definitely first on the priority list, and it's happening so far in BC. The face of the league recently has really been Randy Ambrosi, which is not what you want for a lot of oh, different reasons. You don't want yes. your commissioner to be the guy that everyone thinks about when they think of your league. Oh, hey. And then you could also, uh, you know, pick pick some uh, uh, pick some, have some bones to pick with how Randy Ambrosi has run things with the yeah. CFL. But that's not a good situation to be in. They need that to be a player. And, and mm-hmm. hey, if it's a Canadian quarterback, all the better. I. Uh... I love the storyline. Let's see where where it goes. Um, one game. Need to see more of it from Nathan Rourke. It's been uh, six and one so far in the year. Leads the league in passing yards. Is doing so many good things. Let's see it continue with the BC Lions. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Seattle Seahawks and their weekend coming up after eight o'clock. Brady Henderson is going to join us. Uh, Drew Locke impressing in a mock game. 
and uh, many wondering how he has not yet been named the starting quarterback. The peak, the peak of the Seahawks season, right there. <laughs> That's Drew, Drew Lock showing out, embarrassing in the mock game. Can we? It's all downhill <laughs> from here. Uh, I think good, good spot there, Laddie. Uh, we Thank could you. use Rocco Baldelli forever with the embarrassing. That's beyond embarrassing. Oh man, that's so good. I feel like we're going to get some good use out of that one. <laughs> At least on this show. He's very, the, like the embarrassing is is very emphatic. He is incensed. <laughs> Not a happy uh, camper, Rocco Baldelli. So um you know how uh there's a day in the summer. I believe it's is it July 1st? I have no idea what you're talking about, so you'd have to give me more information to <laughs> before I can confirm that. Uh Bobby Bonilla Day. Oh, yes. I think it is July 1st. So Bobby Bonilla gets a million dollars from the Mets every July 1st until 2035, I believe it is. It is such... That's still so long. It's not even close (laughs) to ending. It is the most remarkable contract in the history of sports. Now... For a reminder, or for those who may not know, Bobby Bonilla has not played a game in the Major Leagues of Baseball since 2001. He has not played with the Mets since 1995. 1999. He came back. Oh, he came back. That's yeah. right. Come on. First stint with the Mets ended in 1995. Yeah. And in 1999, he uh, signed that 60 games. A 579 OPS at, at the height of the live ball steroid era. So it really was like setting the world on fire there. For yeah. Uh, for those wondering, you probably want, you want to be around 800 at least yeah. for OPS. So 579 is not good. Um, any case, he signed a contract and basically it pays him until 2035, a million dollars. And so it's, it's a very famous contract. Bobby Bonilla day. Everybody knows Bobby Bonilla day, Bobby Bonilla day. Bobby Bonilla's famous Mets contract sold at auction for $180,000. So the actual like physical yeah. contract itself. Yeah. $180,000. $180,000 at an auction with collectibles. How would you display that? I don't I don't even know. Do you frame it? Like you got to protect it from UV rays. Probably got to be in a basement somewhere, you know. Yeah, you you, you keep it in like a folder, your filing cabinet <laughs> un, under B. You just bust it out every once in a while. Hey, take a look what I got in here. Yeah, have Bobby bo- Bonilla's contract. Have the boys over for the Subway series. <laughs> just you know? flip through it, boys. Look what I spent 180k <laughs> on. Huh? <laughs> uh, check this out: the Bobby Bonilla contract. It was like. Contract's pretty dry, pretty boring. Like you know what I mean? I don't know. It's not like, okay. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. They signed a deal. All right. And everyone's reaction to you having that is going to be why? The, yeah, the actual contract. <laughs> everyone's reaction is going to be like, man, you got a lot of money to burn, huh? You you have the the contract. <laughs> uh, he uh, so the contract comes from Bonilla's agent. So that's where this contract is coming from, and he's selling it for $180,000. That's pretty amazing. Um, if there was one Canucks contract you would pay for, I'm not saying 180 k None of us got that kind of money to throw around anyways. 
But if you wanted to like buy and display a Canucks contract. Which one would it be? There, there's only two. Oh, Erickson. I think, I think, Erickson. There's two. There's only two answers. <laughs> I'd build a statue of Erickson and then put the contract underneath <laughs> it. It's It'd Lou, be in my living room. Louis Erickson is the obvious answer, right? The the most infamous contract in Canucks history. The only other one that I think you can make a case for would be Roberto Luongo's. How Roberto is Luongo's the, extension. Is Luongo's contract more infamous than the Louis Erickson contract? I guess Messier as well, if you hate yourself. Ooh. Imagine waking up to that every day. That contract sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that you could Louis, own the contract in question. Louis Erickson never said his contract sucks, right? Like he never had the famous quote. Yeah, so he's, that, he's probably like, "This contract's awesome." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Louis Erickson is like, "Yeah, I love my contract. Why wouldn't I?" It's you know, great. A- Andy brings up a good point. I think the the closest comp for, uh, well, the the two comps for the Bobby Bonilla contract would be Luongo or Messier. Yeah, I don't think Messier though, because it was short term. Yeah, yeah, but it was still such pure horror. I mean, <laughs> he still have, have, he will forever produced. have PTSD. Yeah, I don't know. Like, and I've said this before, but like you my look eye at also twitches when you say Messier. My the, left eye actually uh, visibly twitches. The kind of chain of events of Messier coming, and then like the trades that resulted, actually set the Canucks up really well for for, yeah. for a very yeah, long time. Twenty twenty for sure. For so sure. I think I I think it that mitigates a lot of it. The the comparison between the Luongo deal and the Bonilla deal is that. It lasted well, forever. Well, they and and they continued to haunt the team after the player had left. Right now, yeah. after the not, player wouldn't retired, it be not for nearly as for the long. Islanders? Isn't Di Pietro for the Islanders? Yeah, Di Pietro would like Di Pietro is there. Century or something? Yes, Di Pietro is the is the hockey equivalent broadly of of Bobby Bonilla. Thank, thankfully for the league, they had amnesty. They had the one amnesty contract that they could buy out. So if you go to cap friendly, you'll still see Di Pietro on the bought out contracts for for the New York Islanders, but it's not. Doesn't cost them any sort of a cap penalty. We had somebody else text in uh, suggesting the Matt Sundin deal. Okay, that would be interesting. I mean, maybe the the if they had actually tabled the offer for the the two year deal that they got him, <laughs> but the the one they actually got him on wasn't that bad. Um, I would say, yeah, the Messier contract, Peter Nedved, the first million dollar contract. Is that true? I'll take that text. It's in the text message inbox. Yeah, so it, it, has has, to be. it has to be true. <laughs> I read it on the internet, so 100% factual. <laughs> I'll take it. This one, Luongo 100%, and then get Luongo to sign this contract sucks on it from Pricer. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great if you could do that. Uh, Dan Richo, Jamie Dodd, we are uh, pretending to be Halford and Bruff this morning on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Top of the morning to you. It's Dan Riccio and Jamie Dodd. We are Halford and Bruff in the morning for this week. We're brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. It's been, uh, it's been quite the morning. You alluded to it earlier. You know, the first time doing the morning show is always a bit of a ride. It is, yeah. You, you come in a, a little ill-prepared. Uh, Laddie and Andy have been doing it for a while now. I've never done... I've done a week on the morning show before. I've never done two consecutive weeks yeah. like I'm doing here. So I'm curious to see... 
You never get used to it. At least yeah, I, I was going to say. I've been doing mornings for like eight years in radio now, and I've, my body is just <laughs> never adjusted. Everyone says that. You will get used to it, but no. There's always just, I always no, find, don't. like when I set my alarm normally in the morning, you know, you wake up, you're kind of dozy and like uh, snooze a little bit. When I set it, you know, at 4.30 or whatever, it's like a jolt of adrenaline. I like jump up. Like, oh my gosh. Like, what's going on? <laughs> Why am I up right now? What's happening? Um. So you were ill-prepared this morning. Super ill-prepared. We will uh, discuss in a moment. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. From The Athletic, it is Caitlin McGrath. Thanks for this, Caitlin. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, we're, we're okay. We're, we're getting used to morning show duty. Uh, it's our uh, first week doing the mornings here uh, for, for Halford and Bruff. And um, I got to say, it's, it's a little bit different, but we're, we're good. We're going to make it through because we got lots of uh, baseball to talk about. What yeah, happened I mean- in that final call yesterday? That was... I mean, Rocco Baldelli is still steaming. Yeah, it was um, it was kind of wild, honestly, to take in. And it was, it was one of those things where almost like when you're at the games in those moments, it's good, but it's also almost a disadvantage because you can't hear anything that's happening and you don't have the luxury of having the broadcasters kind of explain to you like what might be happening. And so, um, you know, sitting there in the press box, and obviously, you know, they're challenging the call. And I'm just making the assumption they're challenging it on based on, like, blocking the plate because it really didn't look like he got the slide in um, in time. Um, but then even when the umpire was making uh, the decision and, you know, the MLB introduced, like, they have mics now. But when the crowd is booing like crazy, you can't hear them. So I had, like, I mean, I knew, obviously, that it got overturned, but... Um, even after the game, I had to ask John Schneider, like, uh, can you explain to me, like, what what all that was? What was happening? What did you say? What did you hear? All this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But, yeah, that was um, that was most, one of the more dramatic endings I've seen this year. Yeah, it was uh, certainly not lacking for, for drama. And it was the kind of thing, you know, when you just watch the play kind of in real time, you think, oh, there's no way they're going to overturn it. And then you start to learn a little bit more about the rule and all of that. And it, it does start to make a little bit of sense. You know, I think the other interesting thing about it was just a really aggressive move uh, to to send Whit Merrifield. And obviously, speed is one of his calling cards as a player, but not a particularly deep fly ball. And it ends up paying off. But that's been one of the things we've seen more of from John Schneider as the Jays manager since he's ta- since he's taken over control of the team. What have your just kind of early impressions of John Schneider as manager been, and and the way he has maybe done things a little bit differently than Charlie Montoya was doing for the Jays? Yeah, um, he's definitely more aggressive with base running, and like as a sidebar, the Blue Jays are you know have not been a great team since they've uh, introduced. Or I guess they're not great at playing these tenth and eleventh innings, like. I don't know what their record is exactly, but it's not great since MLB introduced the um, Ghost Runner on second um, for whatever reason. I don't know, but they haven't been their record in extra innings has not been great, even though their record overall um, is a good team. So that's a bit mysterious to me. But um, on John Schneider, yes, definitely more aggressive with base running. Um, You see him send or you see guys stealing um a lot more you see the hit and run um just aggressive sends which sometimes don't work out and um you know after the game josh and i were sort of talk about it whether it was good aggression whether it's like "Mm, maybe we shouldn't have done that sort of depends on the game situation too it's like 
if there's like two two out and Vladdy's at the plate, like you don't need to be aggressive there because odds are Vladdy will get a hit or you just want to wait it out. But if the game situation is different or if there's no outs, if it's a close game or whatever it may be, um, you know, that all depends on it. And so um, I found that, yeah, John Schneider's very willing to sort of be aggressive when it comes to base running and be a little bit more like chaotic on the bases, which I honestly think is somewhat of a benefit for the Blue Jays. As I said, it doesn't always work out for them, but I think that they are a better team when they are playing that sort of like aggressive, let's drive the other team in a little bit crazy style of baseball. So maybe I'm the forever pessimist, Caitlin, but you know, I was underwhelmed by by what the Jays did at the deadline. Thought they might have been going in for more, and now Springer's on the IL. They get more uh, injuries in the bullpen over the weekend. It just it just feels like this this isn't really going to be the Blue Jays' year, and they're they're going to be an above average team that's just got too many flaws to overcome. I mean, maybe most teams are yeah. <laughs> that way, um, and there are some teams that are below average and have too many flaws to overcome. So I am so. the forever pessimist then. <laughs> well, I mean, look at the Yankees; right? they've been on a, they were on a tear early on, and I think they. Um, haven't looked very sharp lately. They did make that big trade at the deadline, Frankie Montas, and uh, he wasn't so great in his debut. I know there were some circumstances there that didn't make it ideal for him. He was dealing with the death of the family, didn't meet up with the team until quite late. Um, But then look at the Yankees. Yeah, they traded one of their better starters, uh, Jordan Montgomery, and then he shut them down. Um, so it could, I don't know. I'm just trying to say it could be worse it could be <laughs> right now, maybe. Well, <laughs> um, fair enough. yeah, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, the Blue Jays trade deadline. Um, I, I think that it's honestly fair to say it was underwhelming. I, I would think that it's, and I kind of wrote this a little bit and maybe tried to articulate it that I think it's underwhelming just because of the sort of history and the context that we're working with in terms of the Blue Jays and, and their recent moves. Um, in the last three or so sort of junctures where you're able to improve um, and make changes to your team, they've been really aggressive uh, and they've somewhat overwhelmed, honestly, getting George Springer, um, making a lot of moves at the trade deadline, getting Jose Burrios, um, getting Kevin Gosman. Um, those are all really big moves, um, getting guys that are sort of at the top. So, I think that this was the first time in sort of recent memory where the Blue Jays didn't make that one aggressive move, even though they were probably in all these different conversations and they were shopping the high end of the pitching market. Um, It just didn't work out for them in terms of starting pitching. So I kind of get the underwhelming aspect of it, but I also think that if it was kind of um, because of the context that we're working in. And I sort of describe the moves at the deadline as more sort of like just practical. Um, They were practical. They were sort of reasoned. Um, They didn't spend their top prospects. They didn't bring in some huge sort of rental or anything like that. But, um, you know, they got some guys they think that can help them this year, but also sort of more importantly going ahead into the future. And, and, you know, Caitlin, earlier you mentioned that for whatever reason, the Jays have struggled uh, since the new extra innings rules, right, with the the runner starting on second base. And, you know, the thing that immediately jumped to mind for me there, just trying to think of explanations, was, you know, they they haven't had the easiest time of finding consistent high leverage relievers, right? The the kind of guys that you want going to get out of a jam that, you're, you know, you're starting an inning in, the, in, a, in a jam now in the 10th inning. They, they've had a hard time finding those guys. And, 
you look at, you know, they add a couple of uh, of relievers at the trade deadline. Do they have the arms and the depth in the bullpen to to make some noise uh, in the postseason in October? That's honestly the question of the that's going to be the question of the rest of the season, I think. Um, and the bullpen's been really good lately. Um, maybe not so the last couple games in, in Minnesota, but overall, basically since mid-July, they were one of the better bullpens in the major leagues in terms of their ERA and their numbers and stuff. So, you know, the, the thing with the Jays bullpen is they don't maybe do it in the most, um, uh, what's the word? They don't do it in the way that they're like striking a ton of guys out. Um, they are dealing with a lot of guys that usually pitch to contact. Um, and so I think that's why their bullpen maybe looks different, doesn't look as dangerous as another team that's sending guys out there that like throw a hundred um, and you sort of wonder, it's like, why does every team have a guy that throws a hundred in the chase down? Like, I've but, wondered that many um, times. Yeah. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've honestly seen that on Twitter and I've kind of wondered aloud. I mean, there's people in the Blue Jays system, I think, but, um, that, you know, I, I think with the bullpen, they, they do have guys that have a lot of experience. Someone like Jimmy Garcia, um, you know, maybe it sometimes can be a bit of a, a tricky outing. Um, the last couple ones, he's kind of had to maneuver through traffic on the bases, but he's been really good overall. Um, and he's been their guy that they've been using in some of those highest leverage situations, um, obviously before Jordan Romano. So Moody's have experience in their bullpen. They have a lot of guys that are, um, you know, competitive. They have a lot of guys that want to go out there and, and prove that uh, they're good enough. Um, and so I think that the way that the Blue Jays team is built, though, it's really a team that has to give that bullpen a few extra runs sometimes. I think that the offense, um, you know, it, you see the team struggle a lot when the offense isn't, isn't scoring a ton of runs, I guess. Well, I think it's also with the rotation, right? Because the rotation has had its its fair share of ups and downs uh, this season, but at least lately, we've seen Gossman and, and Barrios kind of turn it around a little bit. If they could get more consistency out of the top of the rotation, it would take a lot of pressure off the bullpen, and I think it would help everybody out. That's that's at least a best-case scenario type of thinking. Yeah, I mean, the rotation, for the most part, has been fine, especially at the top. I mean, Kevin Gossman and Alec Manoa um, have been good all year long, um, and they've been sort of leading the way. Obviously, Jose Brios had some hiccups in the first half. Kind of looked like he turned it around in July. Um, then, you know, struggled a little bit against his former team in the Twins in his last outing. But you hope that was just sort of a one-off at this point. And then, yeah, you look at the back of the rotation, stripling on the aisle. Hopefully that's not serious right now. And then Kikuchi is kind of the other guy that you're sort of wondering what's he going to be every time he goes out. And you look at him, I I think like Barrios and Kikuchi are really sort of like the keys down the stretch for the rotation because you just, you you can't afford both of them struggling you, and you really can't even afford one of them struggling um, majorly or not to the extent that they were struggling earlier. If you're not getting like, you know, seven, eight innings out of Kikuchi, that's fine, but you need five competitive innings out of him um, for the remainder of the season. And I think the same goes for Brios, but I think with Brios, you're, you're wanting six or seven innings at least out of him. Those are the guys that are kind of key for me down the stretch in the rotation, because I have no doubts that Alec and, and um, Kevin Gosman are going to continue pitching the way. I don't think Kevin Gosman's allowed a run in his last two starts. So you feel good about when you put those two on the mound and, 
and you feel good about the other two as well. It's just you kind of always wonder when they go out there and which one are we going to get because they they both have electric stuff. Kikuchi has some of the best stuff on the team, if not in the majors, throwing 97 um, as a lefty, but it's just the inconsistency from him. The other player I wanted to ask you about, and he had a big series against the Twins, Caitlin, is Bo Bichette. And I know he's, uh, you know, he's he's drawn the ire of some Jays fans this year, perhaps unfairly at times. But at the same time, you know, the batting average a lot lower this year uh, than we're accustomed to seeing it from Bo. What have you seen kind of generally from Bichette this year? And also, you know, as I said, st- really strong series against Minnesota. Could we be seeing maybe the start of uh, a hot stretch here for Bo Bichette at the plate? Yeah, it's just been a bit of an up and down year for for Bo. I think April was a bit uncharacteristic of him, and then he really had a good May, and then kind of uh, faded a little bit in the summer months. And so now we're seeing him kind of come out of it. So maybe it's just one of those years where he's not gotten to a consistent rhythm for whatever reason, um, and that's kind of showing in the results where it's kind of up and down, up and down. Obviously, a couple of days ago they moved him down in the. The lineup um, hitting, I guess he was hitting fifth, right? So, um, and we saw the results right away. Maybe, you know, maybe that was helpful. You're hitting in a different position. You're getting different looks. Maybe you're getting slightly pitched differently based on who's hitting around you. So sometimes that that can have an effect on things, and sometimes it's just random and, and a coincidence. So you never really know. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bo starts to get on a roll, like, um, for the month of August and you know hopefully he can carry it into September and beyond potentially that's kind of what we've seen from him a little bit this year just again going on those kind of stretches um, and I you know I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year we're not even really talking about Bobachette struggling especially if he goes on kind of like one of his tears and I think in general like I've been saying this a lot the last month um, and I'm really curious to see if it plays out this way but I think the Blue Jays could be a good team down the stretch they were like that last year they had that one hiccup where it was kind of detrimental in the end to their chances to make the postseason but um overall they played really well down the stretch last year kind of because they had to um and they you know they really needed to get into a playoff spot last year this year they're in a better spot but they have to hold on to it because they've got all these teams chasing them um and so that's motivation as well i think this is a team that um, really wants to prove themselves in the postseason. They don't want that opportunity to slip away. And so I'm really curious to see if they're going to be sort of a real strong second half and stretch run team. And I would like lump Bo into that and wonder if he's going to be, you know, really impressive for them down the stretch. Hey, Caitlin, uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Of course. Thank you. Uh, there is uh, Caitlin McGrath covering the Blue Jays at The Athletic. Should have also apologized for my incredibly awkward transition earlier from croissant talk to blue jays talk <laughs> you did your best hey it's still early it was it was early. not great like i pour, hope that tape gets burned for another spro there buddy again it's early no uh, it lives it lives forever in podcast form Reach. so uh croissants and uh maybe let's talk some baseball now <laughs> we, we, we like the baseball you know what you think of when you think of croissants <laughs> Baseball. Radio broadcast veteran Dan Riccio right there at the top uh, of his game. Sometimes you just don't need a segue, you know? you got to remind yourself of that every once in a while. You don't need to connect two things like that necessarily. So the reason we were on croissant talk. Croissants. Croissant. I, like, okay, so Jamie comes in this morning ill-prepared for the morning Extremely show. ill-prepared, yeah. Not like me with my big tub no, of no. espresso, brought my own mug and everything. 
got the polar opposites here. Um, you come in and even uh, w- was it the first break? Was it even before the show started? You're I'm hungry. Yeah. So here's the thing. I you know busy day yesterday out seeing people running errands, all that. Didn't I was just like whatever morning show things I'll, on a Sunday. Yeah, I'll just I'll power through it. It's fine. And I was like, I'll, I'll grab a banana on my way out the door. Right. You know, because look. It's so early. It's like pre-breakfast. You don't necessarily need to eat before the show. I was like, I'll get a banana. Well, it turns out we're out of bananas. So that's my bad. Probably should have taken care of that with my <laughs> errands yes. and all that. But anyways. Where's your smart speaker yeah, to tell you you're out of bananas? We're out of bananas. So I I, I, I come completely without food, without any yep. sort of sustenance. I'm eyeing up the Snickers bars in the, uh, in the, vending, in the machine. vending machine here in the lobby. And yeah, Greg Ballack is just like, hey, do you want a croissant? <laughs> Yeah, sure. It was just like a pocket croissant. Yeah. I opened up no my, bag or anything. Jacket. I went in in the commercial break. I was like, do you actually have a croissant? He's like, yeah, right here. It's like, I couldn't tell if it was a joke. <laughs> if he just carries an extra cro- croissant around at all times or what. But shout out to Greg Ballack for hooking me up with we, a croissant. We joke that I'm in full dad mode now. Yeah. Because I just have snacks on me constantly. I was going to say, laddie, like, where did this croissant come from? I actually went grocery shopping last night. Unlike okay. But was it, just Am I like, was it just in your pocket without a bag? Yeah. <laughs> it was actually in my in my jacket. Am I, I like a whole de- bunch of croissants? <laughs> Am I depriving you of a, a tasty croissant later though? Like Laddie's just got like a uh I got like got like a convenience more. store under yeah, like, uh, selling <laughs> drugs on the side of the street except his croissants. <laughs> hey buddy, you want one? They're fresh, just baked. You don't it. use your own supply. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. I am gonna come back to you tomorrow and be like, hey man. <laughs> Hook me up. It's like breaking you got bad, any more, but it's laddie with croissants. Got any more of those croissants? <laughs> got any granola bars? Like, what are we doing here? What else we got? No, I'll be more prepared tomorrow. Marginally more prepared Just tomorrow. The, the Wheeling stray. in a rotisserie chicken tomorrow morning? Yeah. The stray croissant. It's funny, because like, sometimes you come into the radio studio, you don't know what's going to be here, you know? Like, no. There'll be just, just like maybe somebody brought in food. Well, you know, like Triple O's dropped off a bunch of burgers at eight in the morning. We ate hot dogs in the morning one day. <laughs> and our uh, our pals at uh, City News eleven thirty, they keep things pretty well stocked over there. Yeah. So I uh, I was trying to you know suss out when does the spread go out on that side in the newsroom so I can sneak over and and get my fill. So at if some you're going to sneak over to the spread, do you have to provide something for the spread though? Uh, not in my experience. <laughs> Like, this guy's here every morning. He doesn't even work at the studio. Yeah. He shows up for the food. Would that be proper workplace etiquette? I talked to exactly one person on that side. That's my in. They all, go think, over, they all think you work there. Go You're over to visit guys. them. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just I'll swing by the buffet I, here I have while to I'm say, on this side. They do a much better job of of just bringing more food. Like, we don't do any of that on this no. side. What, what is our problem? No. I mean, generally, we're just a bunch of dudes, and we're terrible at planning things yes. like that, so. Just bring in some Timbits when you come into work. Is it that hard? What, yeah. but it's closed. Tim Hortons isn't open when we come into work for the morning show. I know it is a, hard. We have a candy machine, but how often does that actually get changed? Like, is that Snickers bar from the Century, or what am I looking at? Uh, I've seen them loaded up. Oh, it, they do? It's, okay. uh, yeah. Also, if you are finding a donut shop or something to that effect that is open at this hour, let us know. Generally, like, you're not getting the fresh donuts. No, no. You know? Well, I got Halford hooked on this. For me, I live in the West End. There's a Brecca right by my house. I oh. swear by Brecca. It's awesome. And Plumbo Plus is the only thing that's open, so I don't have a choice. Yeah, Brecca's pretty good. I'll, 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 I'll give a shout to Brecca. I might be door dashing some, some Tim Hortons or something here. I don't know. We'll see. The croissant was good. I don't know if it's going to tide me over for another hour. This text, what's worse, the Luongo contract or Swiss Chalet? <laughs> so, okay. 
being the for shot at Swiss Chalet. Yeah, being the Ontario guy that I am, there's only one remaining Swiss Chalet in the city, and it will soon no longer be remaining. Where is it, or where was it? Is uh, it Low Heat and Boundary? Oh, okay, I know the one. Yeah. Did you have a moment of silence when you found out about that? Uh, I did, and then yet yeah, so yesterday, shed a single tear. Yesterday, I went for my final, my my final supper, the last supper, at at Swiss Chalet. The somber experience. Yeah, it, I mean, it was actually a lot more cheerful than than other times going to that Swiss Chalet because it's usually dead. Mm-hmm. And yesterday, I had to wait thirty minutes to get a table. Ontario Swiss Chalets are so jovial. And you go to <laughs> the one here, and it's like, oh, will you be mad at me if I oh. say I've never been to Swiss Chalet? I, I wouldn't be mad at you in my it's life. Like totally par for the course here on the on the. West I've been Coast. to Swiss Chalet. We had a, we had a we had a Swiss Chalet in North Van. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, the Caplan Mall one, right? Uh, well, it's just. Near Cap Mall. Because I worked not at Cap in Mall Cap for Cap several Mall. years. It was like right next yeah, to Marine it. Drive. Yeah, I could have yeah. gone there so many times. Yeah. I just never did. Uh, I regret it. I, uh, I went a few times as a kid with my family growing up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not enough to, you know, develop like a religious devotion to it like you did, but I, 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 was, I was there. I, I don't know. What is, what is it about the Swiss? I joke when I live in Hamilton, my parents' place is a five minute drive from four <laughs> Swiss chalets. <laughs> four. In Hamilton, that's a so that just gives you what we're coming from. Yeah, that's a little excessive. Yeah, is it like Starbucks here in Hamilton? <laughs> it's just like one on every corner, basically. You know, it's like that, that was just fast food in general. The, in the grocery store rotisserie chicken uh, crushed, kind of killed Swiss yeah. LA. Killed yeah, Swiss that's LA. a good point. Yeah. It's like Netflix to Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> Your whole business model is shot like, now. Oh, we can do this for a third of the cost. Yeah. I, I like I don't know. There's just something about a good chicken and rib combo, though. That's just sometimes you just crave it. Are they still going to sell the sauce at least at the? Yeah, I, I would stores? imagine so. Please, yeah, please. The Shirley Temples. I get it though. I love a good Shirley Temple. Yeah, love a good Shirley Temple. Uh, I get it. I mean, I like. I think this is how I would probably talk about uh, White Spot if I if I left BC, yeah. I would just have this yearning for a white spot burger. That's the closest comparison. Yeah. And everyone else would be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So should we do Friday on location at Swiss Chalet? <laughs> could we make that happen? I don't know if we could. Oh. It's probably too early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys open up. We're here. Who hey, are you? Richio and I have been keeping it in business this entire yeah. time. Us <laughs> and the prep cooks in the morning hanging out. Uh, all right. It is uh Halford and Bruff in the morning. I'm Dan Richo. He is, Jamie Dodd, the final hour is coming up. Drew Locke impressed in a mock game for the Seahawks this weekend. Should we be all that impressed about a mock game? Brady Henderson joins us next on SportsCent 650.